It was really, really early in the morning and it was still foggy. I sat there until the fog lifted and then it was a really beautiful summer's morning. Just a simplicity. I felt really humbled to be in that space. My head just felt like I come from a, maybe a long line of, of women or, or that are around the world doing this. So I felt a sense of connection. It made me curious as to who else in my family or my lineage did this or how did they feel about the land. I felt pretty small actually in comparison to like a global farming community, but it was quite instrumental in um, like keep going, just keep going because it will come. Who Feeds Us from Farmerama Episode 5 Cultivating Abundance In this episode, we visit one region, the West Midlands, to explore how the pandemic has highlighted connections between the local and the global, the present and the past, and between food, health, community and identity. What can we learn from this time about the experiences, the resources and the needs of individuals and communities in the UK, and in particular, communities of African descent? How can having access to land, to green space and to growing space feed us in multiple ways, physical, emotional and spiritual? Linda McFarlane is based in Handsworth in Birmingham. She's the founder of Vegan Vibes, a non-profit that runs plant-based pop-up restaurants and food workshops, as well as local markets, known as Earth Markets. As Linda puts it, Vegan Vibes champions a cruelty-free and creative way of living and communicating. I really do feel that Vegan Vibes is my little contribution to justice. And when I say justice, I, I mean, I dream of a world where things like poverty alongside extreme greed or waste is no longer a thing um, that is acceptable. I dream of a world where it's normal to be kind and to help people who need help the most. There's no harm to, to living things. If I could contribute to that, maybe not in my lifetime, but set a seed going forward, I would have done something to make my existence valuable or to leave something behind. Vegan Vibes is really a plant-based approach to mental health and to enterprise. It's something that I see as not just myself, but I would like to set footprints for others to follow in, as I am following in the footprints of others. It's all about the vibration, really. Warmth, kindness, not being judgmental. These are, are conditions that I think humans do well to grow in. Another element of the Vegan Vibes project is a community allotment space called the Earth Garden. Linda's motivation for setting up the Earth Garden was very personal. It was about much more than just the desire to grow food. I had in the past, due to circumstances, suffered with depression. For me, being in nature, being in the garden, was just, that's just where I vibrate. I started a sort of a gardening club with some of my friends. We took on an allotment and unfortunately, due to work commitments and so forth, it died, died off. But I kept going. 
and I kept going with my children. But why I, I did that is because I would have loved the opportunity to go to a space where I could potter around. I don't have to divulge any of my personal life, but I could actually be there and I could either use it as a chance to reflect or to grow or to learn or to heal. But I think in the spirit of, of kindness to myself, I love to share. And if I had wanted that, there may be somebody who still would want if there's a go-to space that's safe that we can work together and you can pop in and do as much or as little as you like that would have been something that I think I would have enjoyed In early March another West Midlands resident returned from a trip abroad and found himself in a changed country My name's Andre Reid I'm a designer um, architectural designer based in Warsaw, UK when it came to the lockdown, the initial lockdown, I was just coming back from Zimbabwe, where there was no lockdown, um, where there was observing the UK from far. So when I came back, it was a week before lockdown, and what I found was just this really glum energy. Like, you could feel people retracting and trying to just arrange and organise food provision because we're starting to see the food disappear from the supermarkets and even from the local corner shops. It's around that time that I realised the situation was in many ways very serious. I was getting so much information, so much conflicting information, that I didn't know what to believe. At the same time, in my area, I was very angry when I saw the roads really, really, really quiet. But they're just dozens and dozens of police vans almost patrolling the streets. It had the fear factor. And I'd never, ever seen that before, where even to go for a walk, you know, I'd, oh gosh, you know, am I going to get stopped? And then I decided, you know what, just, just stop. Just stop and slow down. It was, it was a wake-up call for me, actually, because I, I realised that I had so much what happened for me in that period was I was grateful for my life. And I realised that a lot of things that I thought were important in the grand scheme of things were not as important as I initially thought. I've got my life now. How do I want to live? How do I choose to live with the life I've got? We went into lockdown and one of the first things that came to mind was like, how can we grow fresh fruit and vegetables? And I'd done a bit of stuff on urban farming before and got linked into a WhatsApp group. And we all got talking about how we want to build like a more sustainable space and a sustainable, I guess, local economy for us to access food. So what we started to do was invite loads of different people into the group, people that had permacultural backgrounds, people that were just local people that really kind of believed in this same mission of like, what can we do to like become more sustainable, to become more resilient as a wider kind of network slash community. And that's how the Urban Farmers WhatsApp group was made, which is now, I think, approaching like 60 members and is an array of, of just... Local people that really want to do good things with their neighbourhoods and 
see growing and food as central elements in that. And Linda is one of those people. Andre first met Linda a few years ago when he attended one of her pop-up meals in Handsworth, featuring an affordable and locally sourced menu. One of the reasons Linda serves and promotes plant-based food is that it's inherently cheaper and healthier. And we loved it. We was amazed because it was it was really, really good and it was really, really cheap and we couldn't understand how it was so good and how it was so cheap. We went and asked for the chef and, like, asked how did it start and what is this? And that's where we met Linda. And Linda told us about all the great and amazing things she has planned and the vision she has in terms of how important it is for the black community to have good food and have access to locally grown fresh food. Linda has this vision of of how we can take ownership and stewardship of green spaces and of growing spaces for the community and to feed people in a really healthy way. Vegan Vibes essentially will have 10 projects, but I'm just concentrating on three at the moment. So when one part wasn't able to continue, we still were doing food for the elderly, food for the vulnerable, and transporting it out there so people would have cooked vegan meals. So the food element of it was still going ahead. The Earth Gardens project was still going ahead. So that's been a blessing. It's still in progress, but it's a small allotment space. And it's a garden where we grow. And it's not just growing vegetables. It could be growing in self-confidence or growing in awareness or spirituality, whatever it is. But I want to make it really pretty. It's flowers. It's an opportunity to plant something in memory of someone. And then the phase two element of it is growing more on on the produce side so we can feed some of that the food back into our earth markets when we come out of this um, social distancing situation. So we've got local food um, that is grown by local people that we would like to keep as um, organic or as heritage in its seedage as possible so that people from all backgrounds can get access to it. It doesn't have to be so expensive they can't afford it. And hopefully if this model takes off, then we can really become more self-sufficient, not just in the cultivation of food, but in the planting, in the distribution, um, in the eating of it, so that we become more self-sufficient on a micro scale. And that's, to me, the principle of the Earth Garden. So it's not just impacting mental health, but hopefully if I can provide employment, in a small way, then I'm providing enterprise as well. Linda, Vegan Vibes and the Earth Garden are part of a long history of community growing practices in the West Midlands. And it's particularly in times of crisis that these practices come to the fore. Through a project called Digging Around, Birmingham-based sociologist Dr Lisa Palmer investigated and highlighted this history. The idea was to look at sustainable practices in Birmingham from the past in a way that it could inform the future. There was a lot of material there in the archives. It was material that the City Council had collected over a period of time, administrative documents and kind of local histories about green space. As the story kind of unfolded, it turned out that Birmingham was like the allotment capital. Of, 
of the UK, which is not what you would have expected. You know, allotments played a really pivotal role, both in the First World War, the interim war period, the Second World War, and sort of the post-war period as well. And again, Birmingham's not a space associated with necessarily green spaces, but it has a really strong history of caring for its green spaces, of of developing um, parks and allotments. Even if you go around the city, you know, you'll see hanging baskets, containers that come alive during the kind of spring summer months. It's got a history of competing for Britain in Bloom and sort of winning competitions about that. So it's kind of this really strange sort of pride in its green heritage. And I guess what I came across in terms of the growing practices is the way that the usage of land will shift depending on the political context that we're in. But the archive project that I worked on called Digging Around highlighted was the way in which land becomes reused for different things and how the government can reclaim a particular um, space, such as a, a park, to do other things like to grow food in times of crisis. For example, the purpose of a park was for, for leisure, but actually they, they repurposed that park during a time of crisis to grow wheat because there was a shortage of wheat at particular points during the, the Second World War. And so the kind of contestation over land usage and what we can use the land and who controls the land and who owns the land is always very, very political. And actually, I think, cuts to the core of some of our most urgent social problems. A lot of allotment spaces were bequeathed to the city. They were given to the city by, you know, kind of the land gentry of the city, um, people who had access and ownership of land and, you know, saw it as part of their kind of civic mission to perhaps share that land with local communities. And it's not just altruistic or just for the greater good. I think there was perhaps an element of that, but it was also kind of linked much more broadly to developing an economically viable and healthy workforce and allotments supported that so you saw that with the way in which Cadbury's Bourneville village was very much an example of a big global manufacturer of, of chocolate caring for its workforce in the UK and I guess the question that I was constantly asking myself was what were the limits of that social consciousness? And so, for example, if we look at Cadbury's in the growing of cocoa, what the archives demonstrate is that the same sort of care for workers at Bourneville was not demonstrated for the growers in West Africa. These disparities in economics, disparities in workers' rights, disparities in who deserves to be paid a particular wage and who doesn't. I think those questions of the past are still with us today. I think they're very much part of the politics of this of this day. So I think there are ways in which we can look at those sustainable practices and see that even if they're sustainable, they still 
may have some problematic colonial inheritances, colonial kind of legacies, if you like. I think social media brings, you know, the, the kind of new forms of communication put these conversations in a much more immediate, accessible domain. It gives me hope, and it's also kind of a point of despair, is that in one sense, it gives you hope that these kind of conversations that we're having hopefully shine a, a kind of focus on the importance of, of these kind of histories. But also what they also do is, is point to the, the places where environmental injustices, unsustainable practices have a huge impact on the lives of people of colour, black people in particular, um, you know, and people who occupy vulnerable spaces in the world where land security still remains a huge, or land insecurity still remains a huge issue. What this conversation does is allow other people to enter into that space and to, to kind of bring their experts' knowledge or their lived experience. When I set this garden up, I felt that I wanted to open the space so that I could share. And I was asked the question, so why don't you want it for yourself? Why don't you have it for yourself first, see how you feel, and then open it up? But I never saw it like that. I see my home garden as mine, but the space I saw where there's lack where there's music, where there's different input. And I saw it as that, and I still do see it as that, and I'm going with that. When we talk about the community, I really wanted to focus on women of African heritage. I see us as a group of people who are either unrepresented or underrepresented or misrepresented. And we have become almost a group of people that don't exist anymore. So we don't, we don't advocate for much. We just put our heads down, get on with it. And lately I've been hearing quite a lot of women that have passed. And they've passed either tired, angry, overworked, um, not to have fulfilled their potential. And I really wanted to say, hey, did you know that there's a space where you can come and rest, where you are seen, you are appreciated, you are heard, you can give something back or you can just be in this really pretty space and I'll make you feel like a lady. I really want the, the, the African community to get back to the land I really want them to focus on eating well, uh, to growing well, or to to understand principles of growing so that this can be translated abroad. So this is basically a pilot so that we can really start seeing the benefits of this principle. And if I can share this principle with other people, then I'm hoping that it will really take off. It's in our heritage that we, we grow, you know, get back to nature. Nature is healing. It's wonderful. It's um, open to the elements. Things that are actually indigenous to this country 
that are actually healing for us. So yes, I do think that the African and Caribbean or communities of African descent, being close to the land, is, is very, very healing. Allotments are often used as spaces as a way for people to kind of help themselves to live with mental health issues, whatever problems that those might be. And that is, again, that is not new. That was apparent during the interwar years as well. Allotments were important for people who were formerly part of the army and had returned back from war and who were looking for work but were unemployed and allotments were used as one way to kind of mitigate against mental health issues. So I think that idea of healing is really critical, is really important and it has a lot of resonance for I think particularly for Caribbean communities who have enjoyed an experience of um, growing back home to have that experience of growing in the UK. So the ability to access allotments and other green spaces has a particular significance for the UK's black communities. We're living through a global pandemic, but that pandemic is also related to, you know, the pandemic of racism at the moment, the kind of the social injustice, the racialized forms of injustice that have been brought to our attention. And I guess in that context, when we think about black communities or black identities, particularly in urban spaces, they're associated with a struggle and is they're also constructed in particular ways that depict black lives and black people's lives as being one dimensional. What is beautiful about thinking about black lives in a much more complicated space in terms of how they occupy green spaces in the city it gives a different insight into the multiple layers of the Black experience that are not given any focus or attention. Lisa Palmer's work, focusing on that that historic piece of what happened with the African-Caribbean community, coming from a place in the Isles, in like Jamaica or Barbados or any of the, the Caribbean Isles from which people came, or people that have come directly from Africa, and West Africa or East Africa. These are spaces where people would step outside and throw seeds on the ground and watch it grow, you know? We have a connection. Specifically, we've been able to have that that freedom to grow food and to have that space to appreciate freshly grown produce that you can constantly return to, not having to go to the shop, just growing it on your doorstep to an urban environment where everything is so systemized around retail and purchasing goods rather than cultivating them, that when we settled, we looked for these opportunities in the allotments, that kind of rekindling of being at home and being able to have harvest and to share food and to share memories and to share experiences centered around the cultivation of food and the sharing of it. It gives you a kind of ownership over your plate obviously there's an aspect of eating fresh food that's about nourishing your body and the immediacy of having something fresh to eat that you don't have to go out and buy but I think there was also an element of enjoyment and pleasure I do remember is with relatives that used to visit 
friends on allotments or relatives that had allotments, there was that sense of excitement and satisfaction that they could pick their own callaloo, that they could pick their own country pepper, they could watch their peas grow. Even my dad, you know, if I go around there, he'll show me how well or not his callaloo is growing. Just satisfaction, satisfaction that you could grow something that we, you perhaps used to have in the Caribbean, but you can actually grow it in either your back garden or your allotment plot in Hansworth or Perry Bar or wherever your, your allotment might be. I actually don't have the space to grow anything anymore. I recently moved. It did make me feel a little bit vulnerable about that in some ways, not having access to the land and not being able to dig the land. You know, that was quite strange. It happened in a kind of moment of crisis in this space and time that we're in at the moment during COVID. I think for my dad, it may have had quite an important influence on what he wanted to grow this year and the amount of what he wanted to grow. So I think most definitely it does have an impact or it is having an impact. For my dad, I think it's a space that he can have some sense of control over in terms of to go to to kind of enjoy his growing practices but also enjoy the food that it produces as well i kind of like the culture that exists in allotment spaces the kind of ethics and practice of sharing sharing food and exchanging food. It's always exciting, it's always interesting, but it's also kind of gives us an insight into a different way to live and to kind of be with each other. It's not just about monetary exchange. You know, it might be exchanging a, a pumpkin for a bunch of spinach or chard or something, you know. One of my very first experiences when I got to my very first allotment plot was the generosity of some of the older gentlemen from all different backgrounds coming over and sharing tips or even their tools with me. And not only sharing that, but giving me seeds and helping me and instructing me. I'd love to be able to pass down the love of growing to younger people. And certainly when I go to the plot, I've always tried to make it as safe and as accessible as possible so that all generations can be there, so that they can have that experience. And even if they don't take it up as readily as, as I've done or other people have done, but they've had that experience that they may draw on later on in their lives. So I want to make the love of growing a multi-generational and intergenerational experience. There's just lots of space for new, fresh energy coming in. It's really interesting that whenever someone starts a community project now, we centre it on food and growing. It's, it's really interesting that for a lot of us, our society is so focused around work and exchange, you know, monetary exchange. And when people think of community projects, they think of growing, cultivating and sharing a sharing economy. And so there is something in how communities feel closer through access to land, through access to space, 
to cultivate and grow together, not just food, but to actually grow as a community, those spaces to physically interact and to share and generate ideas about what the world or what their neighbourhoods could look like. So how could we make these green spaces, spaces for growing, for resting and for collectively imagining, how could we make those spaces available to all communities, both here in the West Midlands and elsewhere? My belief is that we all have access to growing space. It's not necessarily soil. It's wherever we are. I think it's a matter of being able to easily access the tools to create, to transform any space into a growing space. So could there be ways in which you could walk down the street and pick up all the tools you need? They could be recycled, they could be repurposed, they could be shared, but from a neighbour, I, I don't know at this point in time. But some way of communities being able to access these sorts of tools for free or for a very limited cost so that we can actually start to transform our living spaces that aren't traditionally designed for growing into growing spaces and also being able to go outside and look at all of the the green spaces the verges all of these all of these green spaces that exist strictly for aesthetics or potentially sound breakers in the environment can these also be seen as growing spaces for me it's a matter of perspective and just acknowledging that there's an abundance of of opportunities and things at our disposal to make the world how we want it to be. Every other organism on the planet, bar humans, accept <laughs> that food is everywhere. And like, it's just a matter of like your perspective. If a street has a green patch, it needs to be growing food. <laughs> and if it doesn't, we need raised planters. And rather than have the councilmen come and waste the day's wage collecting them because they're seen as unauthorized street furniture, pay someone to go around and actually cultivate them and keep them healthy and keep them growing good quality food and saying, this is how much food is here. When lockdown happened, it was just basically fulfilling the, the plot uh, brief, putting in the infrastructure, sowing seeds. Now we're at a time when there's great harvest. But initially there wasn't a lot going on at all, but now that, that there is. So should we um, go through this again, then we've got a, a, we've got the infrastructure already there to be able to put things in. And what we will be doing in our phase two plot, as I did today, is start preparing and start planting uh, stuff for the winter. So should we be in the situation again, we will have food hopefully all year round, something at least, and, and being able to store things as well is quite important. The change that I would like to see come out of this period going into the new year is one where we're literally on the game. And when I say on the game, I mean, for a lot of us, and I've had these conversations as well, we're going back to our parents and our aunties and our uncles, and we're asking them the questions about how they cultivated and grew food. And we're starting to practice them and teach them to our kids. What I would like to see in the future is that heritage and that like legacy pulled into how we operate and look at the future, but with added like an added twist of how we implement technology into those rituals, those practices, how we implement architecture and create beautiful growing spaces that are able to produce foods that we've not been able to see 
grown where we've, we've settled for so long. And I'd like to see more of our youngest people appreciating that process of cultivating food and growing spaces and just appreciating green spaces because we're in the city all the time. I'd like to see more of those things happening in the in our community. I feel like it's 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 proven it's really good for our our mental health and our well-being. In my mind's eye, I would like women in different inner city areas to be able to come together in a space and have it not just as a place of cultivation, but have it as a space of beauty. So put thought into it and I am not in any way shape or form a landscape gardener but what I would advocate is that alongside vegetation is beauty so things that create tranquility like water or roses you know or or beautiful flowers because we do work so hard and a part of balance is as well as working hard we also need to rest unapologetically that is part of healing is to rest without feeling guilty. And if we can do it, I'd love to be able to see, connect with other people that are doing it too. As undeniably challenging as these past few months have been, what they've also revealed is the resilience and the resources that already exist in communities in the West Midlands and across the UK. I have seen people pull together I think it's really encouraging that people have a sense of community. I've been inspired by generosity. I've been inspired by people giving selflessly. I've been blown away by the amount of ingenuity when people have thought of stuff and just made it happen. Yeah, I've I've, I've come away with a sense of slowing down and slowing down and trusting the process for people who didn't know how they would cope, but they've coped, seeing their their surprise and their own strength, you know? This lockdown situation has been really challenging for some people, but they've survived. They've survived despite them thinking that they couldn't. And it's taking them on a whole other trajectory, I think. Although it's been hard, But I think a lot of people have come away with being surprised at their own resilience. And I have really, really loved that. And I've really appreciated that in seeing it and hopefully being a part of that. What gives me hope is things like this. Things that, my goodness, you've heard about me. Wow. It just started off as an idea and I made it happen, and I'm doing it. So that gives me hope. The picture is emerging, and the bigger picture is yet to come. That gets me out of bed in the morning. So I do have a vision. It's beginning to unfold, and, yeah, I'm really optimistic. If you've heard about me, then that's really good. In going forward, what really has been a central part of my life has been going back to the land as a therapist, as a human being, uh, as as a woman. That was really me. And, And I think I've gone back to what I was like when I was a young girl. And even coming in today, 
soaked, absolutely soaked. I'm like, this is so good. You know, I, I, I managed to, um, you know, have a hot drink and um, sit around a log fire. And to me, that, that it doesn't get any better. Just being out in the elements. And for me, that is, that's gone right to the top of, of how I choose to live going forward. And I've come back absolutely buzzing. I did what I wanted to do. I managed to plant, connect with people, touch the soil, open the elements. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually really good. So this phase of, of existence has been instrumental for me because now I'm choosing how I want to live the rest of my life. In the next and final episode of Who Feeds Us, we'll catch up with the people we've met throughout the series and hear their visions for the future. This episode of Who Feeds Us was produced by Demarque Williams, Joe Barrett, Abby Rose, and me, Katie Revel. Thank you to Linda McFarlane, Dr. Lisa Palmer, and Andre Reed for sharing their stories. Andre was also this episode's community collaborator, so thank you, Andre, for highlighting these voices and bringing them together. The project manager for Who Feeds Us is Olivia Oldham. Our artwork is by Hannah Grace, and original music for the series is by Michael O'Neill. Our Patreon supporters helped to make Farmerama possible. We're really grateful to them, and even the smallest contribution makes a big difference. If you'd like to become a supporter, visit patreon.com forward slash Farmerama. Who Feeds Us is possible thanks to the Farming the Future COVID Response Fund. We're very grateful to the A-Team Foundation, the Roddick Foundation, 30 Percy and the Samworth Foundation for providing the funds to make this project happen. Many thanks also to Farming the Future advisor Dee Woods for her guidance in bringing the team together.